Hi all and welcome to the Life of Tribe podcast. I'm your host Andrew Owen and in this episode we're going to explore some aspects of nutrition, uh, specifically how uh, triathletes should be looking at their nutrition for training and racing. In the episode I'm joined by Ashley Delot. Um, those of you who listen to the podcast on a regular basis would have come across Ashley in our cross try episode so I asked Ashley to come back on um, and we had a chat um, around nutrition but more importantly he invited Alex Rhodes on um, because Alex has been sort of advising Ashley with regards to his nutrition and sort of how to maybe get that sort of extra percentage out of his performance by fueling properly and just eating really well. Um, Alex runs Altera Performance. Um, you can find them at alteraperformance.com. Um, I'm sure just by googling him or, or just um, tr- trying to seek out Alex on Instagram. I'll put all the links in the description below. Um, so please check him out. He's a, he's a lovely guy. He knows what he's doing. Um, his his knowledge is is very very good. And also, both him and Ashley compete at quite a high level within cross try. So you know they know what they're talking about. So the episode itself, like I said, we will be exploring some aspects of nutrition. It will be very basic because I'm planning on doing a few more nutritional sort of episodes in in the coming weeks. And I've got another nutritionist coming on on another episode in a few weeks as well. So see what you think. Check it out. We love your feedback as well. But here's the episode with Alex and Ashley. Thank you. So guys, thanks for joining us. Um, today we're going to have a, hopefully have a chat about nutrition, um, sort of how that then works within the you know the world of triathlon. Um, I know Alex has sort of been advising um, Ashley on his on his nutrition and you know trying to you know, I suppose get every bit of gain out of Ashley's performances and uh, ensuring that you know those you know those performances are. Or maximise with the amount of energy that he can expel at any given time. So, you know, first things first, guys. How do you know each other? I'll pull out Ash- Ashley first. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, been a few years now. Um, we met in 2017. It was my first um, cross try ETU race, and um, yeah, Alex. That's probably mine, mine as well. Oh, there you go. There you go. But yeah, we met out in Romania. Um, I remember I was walking down the high street in the town and um, spotted Alex and a couple of other lads in their GB kit and said hello. And then, yeah, it was sort of from there. We went and watched the Elite Duathlon and then raced a few days later. And Alex smashed me and it was good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. but um, so, so, so how long have you been in, in it, um, Alex? So I, I started in triathlon. I was trying to make, when you mentioned dates there, Ash, I, time has just come flown and like we were just saying I've been to Romania probably about 10 times in the past five years or so but I was trying to think back to when I first went into triathlon and um, like yourself um, Andrew I was in I started out in team sports um, so I have a football background but I ended up I think it was 2012 I ended up doing a triathlon for charity um, and uh, by the word from the words from my very mouth, um, I finished that race. It was the Leeds Leeds Triathlon, and I said I would never do one ever again. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> and here I am uh, 10 years later, um, still in it, racing as a professional. So, um, yeah, things change when you get hooked. Oh, you, you do get hooked. And, um, and I, I, yeah, I've said this on other podcasts previously, but my hook wasn't necessarily doing an event. It was going down to watch the first Ironman in Tembe in South Wales. And um, so Ironman Wales, obviously. Um, and I saw it and I, oh, I, I was hooked. And, and back then, I, you know, I was playing. I was playing a lot of football. I was playing a little bit of rugby. But I was coming to the end of that sort of part of my life because I just couldn't do it anymore. My knees couldn't do it. My back couldn't do it either. But, um, yeah, it's a, it, it seems to be a bit of a common story that, you know, people, are, definitely from the UK anyway, have come from sport, a team sport, sorry, um, and definitely then moved into triathlon a little bit later. So, and, you know, it's, it's similar sort of um, story that you've got there by, by the sounds of it. Yeah, and like you said, I wonder if it's interesting that it's switching from having that um, team and reliance on the team result to an individual um, thing. You know, you kind of, in a team, you have to perform as a team. Um get the results and I know there's individual aspects but when it comes to things like triathlon whether it's individuals swim bike and run then it's kind of down to you at the end of the day there's um, no there's no hiding um place in within triathlon is it no it's um you know you if you have a bad day off at the office in a football or rugby or hockey or whatever team sport you may have played it's um you, you can sort of get pulled along by the rest of them but you know, within triathlon, again, bad day off at the office. It, it, it's highly, you know, visible to, to people. Yeah. So, so you know, we wanted to um, get you guys on and have a chat about nutrition. Um, and I, I do think there's a lot of people out there that don't get their nutrition right. And there's a lot of people out there that possibly go longer distance in triathlon. And because they expel so much calorie-wise, they can get away for a period of time of just eating anything and, and junk. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it comes down to some sort of basics that people don't understand, and that's around the nutrition of what to take and when to take it. And Alex, that was going to be one of my questions to you, is how do you advise individuals on just the basics of, yeah, you know, how, you know, what they should be taking and when. And we all know takeaways and things are bad, but how do you structure yeah. some of that conversation? Um, good question. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to caveat myself straight off from the start. Um, the, 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 welcome to the wild world of nutrition. Um, but I would say that everyone... You've got to you've got to take the context of that individual and apply some basics to that. So you know we're all complete individuals as people. Um, you know down to things, the foods that we enjoy, um, but actually our you know our biochemical processes, um, all that kind of thing. So you kind of have to take that person um, as an individual. And then you also have to look at, well, you know, what dictates their performance uh, in triathlon? Because, you know, this may, this may be where the conversation goes later on that, 
with myself and Ash being in cross triathlon, you know, it's a very different nature to road triathlon. And then, then equally, we've got sprint and Olympic triathlon, and we've got right up to, you know, Ironman, some, some longer than that. Um, so it really does depend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Well, but what I would say is as we go on and talk about stuff, you know, there are some rules. There's, there's been a lot of research out there. There's a lot of evidence. And as a, you know, a nutritionist, as a practitioner, I would say you've got to be able to identify that and apply some of those rules. So inform the practice rather than just say, well, this is what you have to do because, you know, things totally change. And like I say, we're, we're highly individual. So really where we would start is with our well-being, do we, do we have enough there to support, um, you know, the demands of our sport and everything else? And again, that, you know, that comes from just total amount of energy. So a very relevant uh, subject that's, it's becoming more out there because it, you know, it's kind of a topic that wasn't talked about um, so much in the past, but uh, very much about energy availability. Um, and this became more prevalent in, in female athletes. And basically, it's not having enough energy after you've done your exercise, your training demands, it's not having enough energy to support biological functions. So bone health, uh, reproductive health, and it can, you know, stem out much further to cardiovascular health um, over a long term. So the absolute first thing we would say, you know, what is the quality of your food and are you getting enough of it for the demands of your support? And so, you know, you, you talk about, um, uh, you know, not having enough energy beyond the training and beyond the racing and things. And I'm, I'm assuming, um, some of that you know you, you do see some high level athletes and lower level athletes as well specifically women who um would really mess up their menstrual cycle um is yeah. that all linked to you know to that side of things as well yeah absolutely so you know that is one of the big signs um that you know is, is obvious in females and and the reason why you know it has become more of a thing in females we're starting to notice it a bit more in males is, but you know, the first thing that could be affected is that menstrual function. So, you know, if you're, you know, just not having any menstrual function, there's a big sign there saying, you know, are you getting enough energy? Because if you're using it elsewhere, you know, you just don't have enough to support those, those things. And then even longer term from that, you might have implications like osteoporosis, um, you know, just that impaired bone formation. So, you know, that's that's an athlete's health at the end of the day. And, you know, we have to live for the rest of our lives. And I know some of us live in, in sport, but, you know, that can really implicate us later on and in the short term as well. It's interesting as well, because I'm, I'm seeing a lot of um, gender-specific um support services around sport at the moment you know i'm seeing a lot of female led um coaches in in and i don't mean they have to be female but there's a specific focus on females you know because you know not everyone comes out of a box not everyone 
is the same as the person standing next to them. And the biggest glaring obvious that we um, thing that we have between us all is male and female. And so it makes, in my mind, it makes so much sense that you would tailor potentially your nutrition as well as your training plan to to get maximize what what to get out everything that you need yeah completely and and going back to the kind of energy availability thing you know um the female threshold is different to the male so we've got to like before we've got to treat them as individuals and i think it's it's not only an individuality thing i think it's bringing awareness to the sport um and almost trying to um talk about this stuff you know we're we're three guys um on here talking about female menstrual cycle and you know that you know that was probably not something that was talked about so long back but is you know is really important in the world now um and and being open about it and being able to identify it within you know people within your clubs to be able to go to their coaches or um you know get that support if they feel that something's not right there um i heard a, i heard a story um it was another podcast i was listening to um actually on that topic and there was a a female swimmer who who ended up being elite but she they obviously swim at a very young age um but she didn't end up getting her menstrual cycle till it was 18 19 20 years old um i can't remember the exact figure but she thought that was normal because you know it's not necessarily something that you discussed and it actually turned out you know swim training hours are, are massive and she was just not fueling enough yeah. during that time so i i you know i've heard that around professional um dancers as well um and also gymnasts and you know ultimately they do think it's normal because their peers the people that are training with them are in a similar sort of situation and it, it's um yeah it's 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 probably a topic for another day um but it's, <laughs> it's and yeah it's definitely out of my sort of um knowledge base that's for sure but it, it, mm. it's for me again it all links that to, to what we try and say on 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 life for try channel right we try and keep it simple that's that's the basic message that we have but at the same time things have to be individualized because everyone is different. Everyone's circumstances are different. I know for an, for a fact now I've got two kids. I probably can't train at the same time as other people within my training sphere. Like I used to be able to, I used to be able to go on a five hour ride on, on a Saturday or Sunday, but I, I can't do that anymore. And I used to scoff at some people and be like, Oh, I got to get up at five o'clock and do my ride. And I used to be like, oh, yeah, why are you doing that? You know, there's no need for it. But it's funny then when your circumstances change, you're like, hmm, I wonder if I can get up for a five o'clock ride on us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, it all changes. But yeah, going back to, you know, trying to keep it simple. One of the things that I was sort of taught, and I never know if this is right, but if we're talking about the shorter form of the sport, and if we're talking about racing here, not just, you know, training. Um, from yeah. a fueling point of view on race day, I was always taught that I wouldn't necessarily need any fuel while I'm racing for anything under 90 minutes. And, I, and I've always sort of stuck to that, but I don't know if that's actually true. So, is it, you know, so what... 
<laughs> um, you, uh, well, I would say you, you caught me out there. Um, what I would say is, yeah, you know, if we have fueled correctly and appropriately in the day, the morning leading into that race, we should have adequate stores for an hour to 90 minutes. Um, we can support that and we kind of say, would say anything over an hour, you can support with a low dose of carbohydrate. Um, but to be honest, in such a short period, you know, taking into consideration digestion and things like that, it has actually been shown to um, improve a little bit of cognitive function. So there may be some benefit from that, albeit it may not reach your muscles um, unless you take it early on in that race. But yeah, you know, you, you do have enough, unless you're going absolute 100% full gas, you'll have enough for that hour, hour and hour and a half. Okay. I guess it's like um, the difference with like a cyclocross race is an hour and hardly yeah. anyone's at elite and amateur levels taking on nutrition. Whereas if you go to cross country mountain bike, they're normally about 90 minutes and the pros and amateurs, they're all popping gels and whatnot. So even though anything yeah. under 90, it's still quite a big window and there's a lot of variability within that 90 minutes. And interestingly then, do you guys within cross try, and if it's only lasting roughly an hour, what about hydration? Do you take in much? Uh, oh so, no, cross try is a bit longer. Cyclocross uh, was... Um, Cyclocross, sorry. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, it depends, unless it's... Make, oh, it's a winter sport for a start, so it's not normally too hot, but... Um, I've never taken on hydration in a cross race, rightly or wrongly, but um, yeah, I don't so, like so again, uh, you know, it's an hour long. You've got to weigh up a little bit of the benefits as well of carrying that extra weight on your bike. Um, but, you know, sweat rates are not going to be enormous. You may take, you know, some fluid on prior to that event, which will see you through, you know, so it's not going to be like, going out to Hawaii or wherever where sweat rates are going to go through the roof. Um, so, you know, the likelihood for that hour is if you're in full race mode, you're not going to need it. Okay. And then from a, you know, and this is some of the things we want, I wanted to try and explore. Is there a magic formula as regards to the amount of carbohydrates you should be taking. And I and I pretty much I think I know the answer to this, which is probably no. <laughs> <laughs> but but if there was a textbook out there, because you read the back of a, a a gel packet, for example, and a gel packet will tell you you need to be taking three of these per hour, where probably it's probably 20 grams. Um so 60 grams within an hour, and then adequate water on top of that because obviously you, you need that additional water. So <laughs> that's 60 grams. That's obviously come from somewhere, but I, you know, I, I'm assuming there's a lot more factors to take into account. So yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's there's a lot of work being done on this. And you know, this is where I throw I threw that caveat in at the start of this conversation because <laughs> I can give you the numbers now, but there are some dependence on that. So typically, you know, anything like we just discussed, anything from naught to an hour, we don't tend to need anything within that range. Once we go beyond that, 
then we've used those glycogen stores. We're pretty low. Um, blood glucose levels can be affected. Um, but also, you know, high performance depends on carbohydrate as a substrate as well. So as we go further into our VO2 max, the more dependent on carbohydrates we need. So again, this depends on the intensity of the sport. But anything from an hour to two and a half, we would try and get 30, 40 grams of carbs per hour. Okay. And then once we go beyond that three hours plus, we can range, you know, typical things like you're just saying, we could say 60 grams an hour. And um, that was a marker at a time where we were purely using glucose. And we, re we now realize that we can use multiple transporters. So glucose has a limit. We can only use 60 grams an hour. And that is just the limit that we can take that up. And, you know, the exploration into that world, we realized that we can then blend that with fructose that uses a separate transporter and therefore you can get more carbohydrate in your system. Um, so anything beyond that, you know, you can go up to 90 grams an hour. And most recently, actually, in the past few months, I've seen um, out of Aska Yukondrup's um, page that some ultra people are looking at up to 120 grams an hour, which is, is quite impressive uh, when you actually do the math behind that. But while we throw these numbers around and use those as a guidance, use that to inform what works in the lab. Now, if you went from not doing this in training to going 60, 90 grams an hour for three, four hours, slightly you won't be able to take that up because you're not used to it. Yeah. So as you go beyond that 60 mark, you really have to train the gut. We can train our bodies to do it, but we have to start utilizing that in training, upregulate some of those transporters so that they go, oh, we're getting more carbohydrates now, let's use those. Um, and that's sometimes the struggles when we see, you know, half Iron Man, full Iron Man. And you know, there's so many stories about uh, toilet stops on the run, things <laughs> happening. And, you know, it might be, there's a whole wide world of things it could be. But, you know, it could be overloading that when your body's not ready for it. It could be different types, um, things like that. So, in a nutshell, anything up to an hour don't really need, providing you fuel correctly. An hour to two hours, two and a half hours, 30, 40 grams an hour. And then anything beyond that, you can range from, you know, you could say 60, 90, 120. But if you're not used to that, start low, you know, start at 40, see if you can do that, then up it to 50, up it to 60 and get your body adjusted to using it. It's funny you say about, you know, people not being used to it and then they come to race day and, you know, it all goes belly up, so to speak. And um, there's so many stories that I know. And the biggest one is um, when people train on a certain product, whether that be, a you know, SIS gel or high five gel or whatever, and they come to a race and it's a totally different gel at the aid station. <laughs> yeah. And... Um, and you know, I, I, when it comes to gels, I, I'm quite good. Um, I've never had a problem, but I, I yeah, I, I've heard too many horror stories, and I always research what uh, what gels are going to be there just in case. 
And then yeah. on the other hand, there's the, the guys and the girls out there who are so well prepared in what they do. But you look at their bike in transition and it's got about 20 gels. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you think you think about that extra weight that's added to it. and oh. I've seen better than that. I've seen apples taped to the top tube. I've seen a baguette taped to the back of the seat. <laughs> I, I've, I've also <laughs> seen a banana, two bananas, taped to the downs of, um, of the handlebars. <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And... Um, yeah, I, I did wonder how the hell she was going to get it off while cycling. But, um, yeah, yeah. Oh, I've seen some brilliant ones out there. But, uh, yeah, no, again, and this is what we try to say to people as well, because we're not nutritionists or anything like that, but around the practicality of it, it's got to be do not do anything that you haven't done already in training. And 100%. Especially when it, it comes down to um, nutrition, because... You know, over the shorter distance, you can maybe get away with it. But once you go in, you know, even 70.3, you know, it becomes a hard place when you start to get those things wrong. Um, and even more so over Ironman. And, you know, I kind of, I had this debate actually not so long back with one of my uh, clients who was doing Ironman Austria last year. And he'd been working with a certain product. It worked with him well. He'd been practicing with it. And we'd set his race strategy out and we looked at the numbers and like what fluid he needed and how many bottles he was carrying. So I said, we're going to need to refuel somewhere. And I said, you know, put the stuff, put two more bottles in your, um, you know, your emergency halfway bag on the bike, pick them up. It'll take you, you know, five minutes at max. And he's like, oh, well, you know, you've got to dig through people's bags and find it and stuff. And I said, yeah, but, you know, it's either that or you pick some bottles up and you don't know what you're going to get. And you can lose more than five minutes in the toilet if that doesn't go well. Yeah. So yeah. it is being in control of what works what works for you. And that, you know, that comes through practice. People, you know, you, even to an extent that you can go and look at the course nutrition, like that's up well in advance and go, all right, what have I got on offer so that I don't need to think about carrying all this stuff? And does it work for me? Because not everything works for everyone as well. And that's where that individuality comes in. And, and you know, people, um, you know, they they rave and, and they'll um, definitely say, you know, flat coke works for me as, as a pick-me-up. I, I, personally, I can't do that. For, for whatever reason, I just can't do, I can't do coke full stop. But interestingly, my first ever triathlon, right, was... Um, was a Cotswolds 113. So it's a half Ironman, in, obviously, within the Cotswolds. And it was on on the weekend, actually. But um, the race didn't go to plan. It was my first ever one. You know, I I went hell out on the swim. I went hell out on, on the bike and then blew up on the run, simply because I went too fast and I didn't feel it properly. But I finished the race and I had that moment of the high, right? You know, when you finish, you're like, oh, that was amazing. You know, thank God it's over, but that was amazing. And I had a burger, literally about two minutes after the finishing. Oh, and it settled in my stomach for about an hour until the trip home. And we hit the M4 and I literally had to say to my other half, services, no, please, please. And literally, yeah, I was sick everywhere. And that's because, yeah, again, you know, it, it was something hit in my stomach, which I wouldn't have normally been used to. You know, quite fatty yeah. food. I, I'd just done a half Ironman in five hours or whatever it was, you know, and, it was never going to be a good day. 
And like, you know, certainly there's lots of things that can impact gut function as well. So things, you know, dehydration, if it's a hot day, can impair gut function. Um, long or intense uh, exercise can affect permeability of that as well. So sometimes we need that to settle. And like you say, you know, maybe straight after um, was a little bit too too heavy on the system um, to allow things to settle. But, you know, the, there's a whole world of things out there and stories where people have had, you know, GI distress for various reasons. And, you know, it does come down to individuality and, and making sure... You know, it makes me laugh and, you know, I've, I've been there, I hold my hands up and, you know, sometimes that's kind of the joy and, and uh, nice thing of doing what I do now is that I have experienced some of this and, and understand what it's like. Um, but I think, you know, you, you spend all this money on an event, you know, Ironman is expensive. You, trained for months and months maybe a year for some people um and you go throw it out the window just because you you know you pick a a different bottle up or you know the best we can do is just make sure we know what we're going to eat and i i've been on races where they've I know this is hydration more than anything now but you know they're filling a bottle by the side of the road from a massive container and I do wonder, like, you know, where where's that container just being filled up as well? Yeah. It, was it just like the local race director's, you know, hose pipe from the garden or whatever? And you know, you've got to worry about that. So before we move on, to, you know, talking about how you you know you've advised um, Ashley, one final bit on you know preparing for a race and how you, or, or it doesn't have to be a race actually. It could just be you know you know you've got a hard session coming up. Um, and, you know, people will talk about carb loading, but I don't think everyone understands what, what it is or what other options there are out there. You know, some people will just have, oh, I'll have a bowl of pasta the night before and that'll do me. And then I'll have a bowl of cereal in the morning. Um, yeah. And that works for some people. But I suppose, you know, what, what's some of the sort of advice you can give to people on that? So if we're, so again, let's take training and racing as separate things because they are they can be different but let's go back to racing if we're racing and we're looking to fully um replenish glycogen stores um contrary to like old traditions where we we loaded for five days prior to an event and you know this kind of i think this came across in cycling actually where um you know, all of a sudden people just started eating a lot of pasta and people started performing better. And they're like, oh, well, let's just use this. Like, this is the way to go. And, you know, they've done a lot, lot more work on that now. And kind of they've come to a conclusion that you don't need to go to that extreme. Um, you can do it within kind of 36, 48 hours prior to an event, providing, you know, you don't do a massive amount. So rest, um, load up and you know, we kind of give a gauge between seven to 10 grams per kilo of body weight um, as a gauge for that, that period per day. So in that day leading up, um, we probably want to be looking to try get that. And that can be various things. You know, it can come from juicy pastas, rices, things that work for you again. 
and you know you're comfortable with again you don't want to be forcing something down that you're just going well i was told to kind of load up but i don't really like this stuff and um, that's going to be a bit of a disaster again so we'd look between seven to ten grams per kilo per day and then the morning for that event again we don't want to overload the system we'd maybe look between 150 to 300 grams depending on how much you're used to that how much you can eat and feel comfortable again and that can come through you know overnight oats it can come through a glass of orange juice you know you've got some um some sugar in there so it doesn't have to be this massive carb loading period but we do want to make sure that we're replenished enough to make make sure we've got that energy available there because yeah, I know I know a few people uh, people out there who uh, talk about you know you you starve your body for so many days, and then the the carb sort of absorption rate will will be mm. x amount more and things and and I, again we just say to people keep it simple don't yeah. deviate too much from what you normally do just ensure that you you eat well the day before eat well um make sure you sleep well not necessarily maybe the night of the race because you, you might be a nervous um racer but at least okay. the night before that as well and just keep it as simple as possible sure and and those are absolutely the best things in the nutrition world and you know we can talk all sorts of different strategies but usually the basics are are the best and like you say you know you don't want to be filling yourself so you can't sleep um you know, you have to be quite practical in the environment that you're in um, to implement some of this. So, Ash, moving over to you, um, you know, and both of you have competed at a, you know, a really good level. Um, but, Ash, thinking about sort of like you would diet and things to date, what, how has it been? You know, what, what sort, of, um, sort of, what sort of diet plan have you normally had? Um, just focusing on quality um just i'm trying to keep it quite basic really like do the simple things well like um yeah not eat too much not eat too little not eat too much fatty shitty food you know um well fat's obviously not a bad thing but yeah the fried food or that sort of stuff and um yeah just eat a lot of veg things like that get your veg in just the just the simple stuff so i kind of I've always struggled to eat during sessions and things and during races as well. So I tried to work on that a bit in lockdown, but then, yeah, I knew I was doing the simple things, but then it's, it takes that external person to point out things sometimes. And to just, it's like where you get a coach at the end of the day, isn't it? You can't see your own swim stroke and whatnot, can you? You think you're smashing it, but you're actually all over the place. And were you eating well though beforehand or have you, been a bit of a mixture over the years because you know I, I know over the years I, I definitely fell into that category of I'm training hard so I can I can sort of get away with eating what I want the problem um, is old age yeah. comes in and you, you can't really do that as well <laughs> I say old age I'm only 39 but uh, but um, yeah you know what I mean um, no nah, I don't know my mum wasn't a very good cook as a kid so I was kind of quite motivated by that to learn how to look after myself you know <laughs> But um, no, I, was, I, don't know, I always like looked at, you wouldn't give a racehorse cans of Coke and things, would you? So I kind of thought that it's always, it's always been, like, I've always been conscious of it, if that makes sense. I've kept a, 
a food diary for the years and like training diary, just like a little handwritten one, just rough notes. I had you know, cereal for breakfast and tuna sandwich for lunch, you know, not like weighing it or anything. It, it, I, I, I tell you what, I'm a massive fan of advocating food diaries only because it allows you to look at um, if you, you know little changes that you have made in your diet. In your diet, it gives you an opportunity to look back, and you, you think, Jesus Christ, why, why did I have a bad stomach on that run, or you know, why did I have the trots on that particular day? And, you, and sometimes you can put that back to food, and, and that that's quite good to hear, actually. And that to- that is something that I'm an advocate as well, especially when it comes down to um, like key training sessions or or in particular races, whether it be A, B or C races, so that you can then look back and, and say, you know, what worked? And, you, you know, you look at the best athletes in the world and they've been through this process and, and they've, got, they've got it wrong and they know, right, that's what I have because I've proved in the past that I've done well on that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's really important on reflection about what works and, and you know, potential what doesn't work. So what are some of the changes then, Ash, that you, you're trying to implement at the moment? And you you may have touched on a couple of them already, but... Um, I guess it was a real big eye-opener getting it um, more quantified. Because, like, my, my handwritten one is, yeah, like I said, quite loose. And it's just like, yeah, I had a tuna sandwich, went for a run, bad tummy or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, whereas with Alex, it was much more like, had, like, an app and, like, was weighing things to get the accurate amount in and out um i guess the main thing that i that alex said to me was about my protein intake that was something because i've had a lot of niggles um over the years and like i i'm not a veggie or a vegan or anything like that but i don't eat a lot of meat and fish um main there's like a few factors like cost and also like i don't know but it doesn't feel right eating every day because if you you ever been fishing like you don't catch them every time do you like like, i don't know it just seems like taking a bit too much out of the planet but that's another podcast itself isn't it um but yeah so it was working alex like to it was it really showed up like the amount of protein i was maybe not getting and not getting at the right time necessarily but um yeah alex can probably tell you a lot more about that than i can (laughs) yeah Um, and there's one thing i was going to ask because we did we have talked about carbs and you know as a rule of thumb, you know, carbs give you energy and and I was always taught then that protein is there for recovery and building building blocks of everything. Um yeah, a couple of thoughts on that and just going off what, what um, Ashley just said. Absolutely, and I think it probably lines in with um what we've been working with with Ash is that we we need to kind of as endurance athletes step away from this notion that protein is will make us into arnie and you know <laughs> make us put weight on make us um you know add muscle add bulk which you know in reality is it, it won't do that um you know you've got to take high amounts of protein high amounts of energy what we look at as endurance athletes is you know pretty much the majority of um of processes you know tissue, bone, um, you know, enzyme, a whole host of things rely on proteins um, and the breakdown of proteins, those amino acids. So it's really important if we're training, you know, every day, twice a day, 
um, you know, we're adding a stress to that body, we're adding protein breakdown, so we're breaking down some of that tissue. And so we, you know, we want to support that for repair, but not only repair, adaptation as well. So, you know, part of that whole um, endurance training is um, mitochondrial biogenesis. So the mitochondria help us um, oxidize fuel. need proteins to build that as well. So it is absolutely vital, um, you know, that we do get enough on there to support um, the demands of training as well. And something that we, you know, we noticed with Ash and actually we looked at his, his overall um, protein and it didn't look too bad. We looked into a little bit of the sources and the timing. Um, we noticed he wasn't being quite as optimal with his protein doses in kind of the post-hour training window. And, you know, as someone who is highly competitive as Ash, we have to, and, you know, as he mentioned, a few niggles there as well. We have to think about, you know, long term, if he's if he's missing a bit of support there after a training session, he's not recovering and repairing quite the same. And he'll go on to the next session and then the next session and then the next session. And further down the line, that's where these things will then start to appear. So, you know, just like endurance training, consistency of doing these things is really important. Um, in terms of, you probably want some numbers. <laughs> Do you want some numbers? <laughs> um so overall we kind of the rda is around 0.8 grams per kilo of body weight um that is in my view as well and, and a lot of other professional views is in it's inadequate for um you know people who take on quite a lot of exercise so we would probably look in a range of 1.2 to 1.8 grams per kilo per day. Now, not too hard to meet, um, but in terms of trying to optimize that, we want to just be looking at 30, around 30 grams a dose. Um, so that can be real food. You know, I'm not going to shy away from protein shakes because sometimes that has a place or recovery shakes. They do have a place, you know, we're all human beings. We have jobs as well, practicality, logistics of these things. So, so long as we're kind of supporting that in the hour window post-training and then just making sure that we get a dose like that with each meal, we should be absolutely fine. It's funny you say about the post-hour you know, window and the amount of um, guys in my local gym <laughs> that you see them munching on a chicken breast and changing rooms <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> um, you know, and they're there prop, you know, having proper meals in, in, in the changing room. And, um, yeah, I, I love it. So, Ash, you know, what, what, did you, what did you look at? Did you bring in any sort of supplements? Um, yeah, so I've started. I've actually just ordered tonight a, um, a whey protein shake. Um, to try and like a few things Alex said about was to try and get a dose before bed to help me to feed overnight and it to be a um, dairy source so it's like slower absorption just to keep you ticking over so it's quite a long long period not to eat and then Alex explained how if then I was I know say you get up and have jam on toast for breakfast or something it's you've not eaten for eight hours because you've been asleep or you have dinner say two hours before that, so I said ten hours and then you go for just your jam or toast and go for a run, that's then say from 12 hours or something, maybe you haven't eaten any protein before. So it's trying to stay out of that state 
And um, so that's the only, the only supplements, but then linked to that is, um, we haven't really gone into it too much yet, but Alex has sort of started mentioning about what, trying to do higher and lower carbohydrate days um, to try and maximize the effect, um, which is obviously, you still need the energy, so the amount of protein and fat is obviously going to vary too. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's an interesting sort of um, way of looking at it. It's not necessarily some of the way that I've come across it previously. Um, so, oh, sorry. Uh, sorry, just to touch on that, like the, like Ash totally said there with, with the protein dose, you know, we've got that window as well where, like Ash, you know, sometimes two sessions a day and, and the response from those sessions can go 24, 48 hours beyond that. Um but if we kind of finish that session and, you know, if it's an evening session or whatever, which, you know, the majority of people probably are, we've then got that window where we go to bed. It might be eight, nine hours. If we don't have any protein for breakfast, like say toast and jam, and you go to lunch, you know, you could have 12, 14, 16 hours before you've given your body anything to repair itself and adapt there. Um, and it's not necessarily shoveling everything down you. It's just being a bit more practical um, about what you do. It, it's interesting because I've got a couple of friends who really advocate sort of fasting, you know, that, that sort of diet where you, you know, you're only eating technically for eight hours of the day and then you're fasting for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. And I've had a couple of them, a couple of them ask me about that as regards to training for triathlon and you know whether I would consider it, and I wouldn't because I know the importance then of sort of putting stuff in me quite quickly, because you know you, when you're training regularly, you're training every day, and the demands of the body that, that are needed, um, yeah, you can't afford to be deficient. You can't afford to be playing catch up with, uh, and like you said niggles injuries they all need something to help them repair um and if you are playing catch up and then you you know you're putting on top of that and putting on top of that you know something's going to give before long Uh, absolutely i I totally agree with you on that and you know there's there's so many things out there about different diets we we won't we won't go into that but i try and stay away from them if possible eat sensible and just keep it you know simple you know Again, it might be a set of circumstances. It might be a way to be in a calorie deficiency if they're trying to lose weight for whatever purpose they've got. But I think if you've got a high training load, you need to make sure there's enough fuel available. You need to make sure that you're recovering appropriately for the next session because at the end of the day, coming from the coaching side of stuff, you know, just consistent training is what what makes us improve. and then relate that back to food if we're not repairing and recovering we might get ill we might you know get injured and then that breaks that consistency in training so make sure we have enough fuel for the demands of the training session and make sure that we're recovering properly it's just you know those are the most important basics that we just need to consistently do and for me as well, right? Food and um, you know, fuel and things has such an impact on on mental health that yeah. I am my my half will tell you this. If I haven't eaten properly and trained, <laughs> I, I'm a right grumpy so and so. So yeah, maybe I'm like that constantly. I don't know, but um, yeah, it, it, 
you, you've got to look after yourself. And, and I know we joked earlier about, you know, old age and, you know, me being only 39 or whatever. But it's, um, the, the older you get, I, I just think the harder it is and the more that you've got to look after yourself. You, you, you can't continue to do what you did when you were 20 and where you'd, I don't know, play a rugby match or a football match and you're having a big mark after it. And, and then 20, no, not 20, <laughs> but eight beers <laughs> afterwards. So, yeah, those, those days are long gone. Guys, and, look, I, I, I'm aware that we've probably gone about 45 minutes on the podcast here, so it's probably a good opportunity to thank you very much for coming on. Uh, Alex, how can you know people get in touch with you? And you know, what, is there a website? Is there um, so I have a website that you you can contact me through that, um, which is www.alteraperformance. So A L T E R A performance.com. Excellent. Look, thanks very much for coming on. Um, if, if you want to come back on in the future, I think there's probably a plethora of um, topics we've probably discussed today that we could elaborate on. So, um, yeah, thank you both for coming on, Alex and, uh, and Ashley. And, yeah, hopefully we'll catch up soon. Thanks for listening to the Life for Try podcast. We really hope you enjoyed. And if you have any thoughts or feedback in how we can improve or any topics you want us to talk about in the future, please let us know. We exist to try and make triathlon simple. So your feedback is really important to us. Check out our social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and YouTube. Um, Subscribe to those channels. Follow us, like us, tag us into posts. Just interact with us and we look forward to speaking to you in the future. Thanks for listening.